From The Advocate magazine, I'm Jeffrey Masters, and this is LGBTQ&A. This is an interview that we recorded live at the Queer Podfest in New York City. This was a big live show that we did for Pride, and the interview is with Shakina Nafak. You know Shakina from shows like Difficult People and Jessica Jones. She's also a theater actress in New York. We primarily talk about being in love and how, as a trans woman, what a radical act that can feel like. I also appreciate how frank Shakina is in talking about her body and how she had to learn how to navigate and have sex again after she transitioned. So all of that is coming up. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe, rank us five stars, and leave a comment. When you do that, it helps more people find our show. So big thank you for that. And then as always, don't forget to check out our old home at AfterBuzz TV. They're the number one place for all your TV after show discussions. All right, without further ado, here's Shakina. Hello, how are you? Hello, that was quick. You didn't waste oh any God. time. I know. These things go on so long. We totally. Like, no, we'll keep away. it snappy. Plug away. Okay, let's jump in. Something that I love about you is that you said that it is your mission Uh-oh. to show... Oh, you look nervous. <laughs> I say a lot of things are my mission, so we'll see. <laughs> okay, so feel free to deny. Um, no, you won't. You said that it is one of your missions to prove to trans people that they're worthy of being in healthy relationships and to prove to non-trans people that dating a trans person is just as awesome as dating anyone else. And I bring that up because I think it sounds so simple, and yet where we are today in the world, it it's like saying Black Lives Matter. Unfortunately, these things have to be said. Absolutely. You know, I talk a lot about being like the radical act of being a trans woman in love and like what it means uh, to be told your whole life by so many people that you are not worthy of love. And I think most queer people have that experience at some point in their lives when they have this like realization of your identity of like who you are attracted to is forbidden. Um, But I just think for trans people, it's like double, triple, whatever. Um, So, yeah, it becomes like incredibly subversive to just... Uh, embrace yourself as a sexual being worthy of love and affection. Um, And then, like, when you learn how to do that, then you can kind of help other people do that, too. Oh, because you needed to learn it yourself. Well, you have to put on your own oxygen mask before you can assist, you know, other passengers. That is a great metaphor. Okay. You brought up that you're in love. You have a pretty serious boyfriend. Are you cool? I'm great. Just there's a big couch and there's people over here, so I want to open up. We can move around. We're great. Oh, my God. Does this look awkward? And do I care? You, oh, you mentioned your boyfriend. Yes, Daniel. He's, Daniel. He's not here. He so couldn't we ju- come tonight. We can just right. dish. He'll come it's later. totally fine. We can go for it. Uh, how long have you been dating Daniel? Um, we've been together for two and a half years. Okay. So what we said about the, it's a radical act to be a trans woman in love, mm-hmm. how does that also not add pressure to the relationship. Oh, it adds so much pressure to the relationship. I mean, what's funny is that, so the story of Daniel and I is such that, um, I have a friend who runs this um, really big blog site on San Francisco called Broke Ass Stewart. And he's great, if any of you follow Broke Ass Stewart, he ran for mayor of San Francisco, so incredible. Um, so he asked me if I would write um, some, like a blog series about my dating experience as a trans woman because it was just horrendous, but there was a lot of humor in that. And, um, and so I was like, yeah, I'll do that. And then I wrote one, and I was like, yeah, it's like punk rock. Like, you know, I'm going to just, like, sleep with who I want to sleep with and, like, write about it, and it's going to be great. And then, um, 
And then I met Daniel, and we had this like incredible first date. We met on Tinder, and we had this incredible date. And I like was like fell for him in a way that was very confusing, because um, it was like a long distance thing that I was like certain would be like a a lover, like a moment. Like I wrote a blog post about it that was like the art of taking a lover, and it's like how you can really enjoy a moment with someone knowing that it's not permanent. And then we like stayed in touch, and that and it like developed in such a way that I suddenly was like in completely new territory for myself. And then I, I felt like I couldn't write about it publicly because I was just learning for the first time how to have my own like healthy, loving, long-term, committed, monogamous relationship, which was like, uh, uh, like just something I'd never conceived, even in my dreams, that I would be like worthy of and able to find. So the last two years have really been about like me just doing that, and then like maybe I'll write about it eventually when I feel like, oh, I can articulate what that whole thing has been. But um, Daniel is so, is so awesome because he's like not a public figure, he's just like a dude. Um, and uh, and he's, like, he, he's like down for the cause and he'll like go along with everything, but then he's also can keep me real and be like, you know, there are times when your life needs to be about your fans and there are times when your life needs to be about like us. That's very perceptive. Yeah, he's really wise. Wow. We love Daniel. I do love him. Oh my God. I do love him. I like that. I yeah. like that you can talk about like the pressure. Yeah, totally. I mean, here's the thing is that like, I'm a lot <laughs> and like, I'm a lot. And, and I think that like being in, in this moment in time, being like a cis um, heterosexual identified dude in a relationship with a trans woman in general is probably a little scary for folks um, who, for one, you know, internalized transphobia or internalized homophobia or whatever, feel like they can't allow themselves to follow any sort of desire. And, you know, when I met Daniel, I did, it wasn't any sort of like fetishist, like, oh, I'm gonna date a tranny kind of thing. It was like, uh, he reached out to me on Twitter and told me that he, I mean, Twitter on Tinder and told me that he thought I looked really brave and powerful in my photos. And that's, so that was nice. That's how, <laughs> that's a good way to, you know, so. <laughs> But same. Yeah. No. Oh. Yeah. And anyway, it's Fight just. Me. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I love him. It's great. It's really hard work. It's relationships are really hard. It's what I'm learning. There's a lot of like a lot of work that goes into figuring out boundaries and communication and projections and attachments and all that stuff. And then um, and like sex is like a whole other world because I have this like brand new vagina. You know, I have like new equipment that I have to learn how to use. Um, and all these like conversations that I think most people who grew up like with a cis experience probably had these conversations about sex with their like buddies or their girlfriends or whatever when you were in like junior high or high school. But I'm having those moments of discovery with my partner and like needing places to have that conversation and that outlet about really adolescent stuff. Like I went out with a friend um, who's married and I was like, when you're fucking your wife from behind, what are you thinking about? Because I just don't trust that Daniel's not thinking about somebody else. And, and he was like, actually, no, it's quite possible to like be in love with the person you're with and be like fucking them kind of aggressively from behind and doing it out of complete love. And that was new to me. It's fascinating to be like learning about one's own body with another person. Usually that's like a solo experience. Yeah, I mean... 
God, in my case, it just like can't be. <laughs> I, I don't. Part of my situation is that. Uh, well, and I don't know if this is true for all post-op trans women, but I have a, a vagina that was like lovingly handcrafted for me, and um, and so and and it uh, if I don't use it, it'll close up. Um, I mean, it's like it's scar tissue, and it want it will like respond as such, and so it, like my body is like constantly trying to in its in its mind heal itself or regenerate, and so I have to like regularly keep those walls open. And um, and that is like a process that is like an emotional process. I'm actually like going to uh, pelvic floor physical therapy where like once a week I have like this this uh, chick from Long Island stick her finger in my pussy and and we just like talk and <laughs> you know. But and and so like but like and but here the real the the tea of that though is that like because for so long I. I, um, because I didn't understand boundaries, because I didn't appreciate my body, um, I didn't know how to like effectively communicate when sex felt safe or when sex felt good or when I was scared or felt unsafe or when I was being violated. I didn't, I didn't have that, I never developed that language. And so um, as I'm learning how to have sex with Daniel, um, and we, so we've been together for two and a half years and this is still very much a process of like how to say like, whoa, this, it's actually hurting, and we need to like whip out a dilator and stretch me out if we're going to keep going. And it's just a real, real part of the process. Everything you describe, though, about learning what you like or don't like, or how far, et cetera, is just a human experience. Right? Totally, totally. I think I just have a lens to view it from. Yeah. That was sort of like a reset button with my confirmation surgery. Yeah. You know, so I got to like start from scratch, and say like, oh, I don't want to repeat anything I learned before because it oh. wasn't working for me. So now I can start fresh. How has your relationship to masturbation changed? Oh my God, it's so interesting. So I watched porn like every day for 20 years, I'm sure. Like since you could download it, I was watching it. Like back when it took like 45 minutes to like trade one picture with someone. That's a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. And so, and then, um, but I actually learned a lot about myself through, uh, for, well, it was an unconscious sort of porn addiction for the longest time. Um, and it just was like, you know, going down that, rabbit hole, deep dark, like, whoa, I didn't know I was into that. I'm like, really not into that, but it gets me off. But oh my God, who am I? You know? <laughs> and so, <laughs> and sometimes you're like, I don't think I like this, but I really want to watch it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Stop. Well, so then, um, but then when I was like, uh, you know, I had done all this research on gender confirmation surgery and uh, it was also clinical and kind of terrifying. So I was like, you know, I just want to watch some like tranny porn and like see a real like awesome like post-operative vagina in action. And I, and so I looked for that and I found this porn star and I read about her story and I watched her, you know, enjoying sex and heard her writing about it. And then, um, and then it like changed the kind of porn that I watched. And then I, and that started like a kind of awakening in me as I realized like, let me just seek out images that actually correspond to how I want to be treated. And then I, so now I watch like all this like soft focus for ladies porn <laughs> with like lots of eye contact and caressing. <laughs> You know, and as soon as like it gets like, you know, and I'm like done. And um, and actually, there was like an amazing porn I watched by this this um this company called Trans Romantic. They only made like two or three porns, but I kid you not, the setup for this scene is like 20 minutes long, and it starts it starts at a restaurant with like this really hot guy sitting at a table, and this this like chick shows up, and she's like, Greg, it's me, and he's like, Jack. And then she's like, yeah, I couldn't tell you, but this was who, always who I was. And he's like, 
I'm so sorry I couldn't be a better friend to you in high school. That's literally, and then they go bone, you know? That's amazing. You can, you can follow Trans Romantic on Twitter. They have a Twitter. Forbidden Desires is the name of the film, and I think it's like the second or third scene. It's not the first scene. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. I mean, there's almost like a fascinating dichotomy between, we're talking earlier about your public relationship uh-huh. with a cis man com- mm. compared to historically trans women have been very popular on porn. Oh, yeah. And trans desire is something that is in private versus public. And there's tension there. Well, sure. I think it, I think, as I said, it has to do a lot with internalized homophobia and like this idea that like, this idea that is so ridiculous that if you want a dick in your mouth, it makes you gay. Like, that is just not necessarily true. You know? You just might want to have a dick in your mouth. And you might want to be, like, squeezing some titties while you suck that dick. And that's fine. Right? Also, my boyfriend says, thick thighs save lives. I like Daniel. (laughs) I love Daniel. Uh, we're talking about your vagina. Do you like that dovetail? Yeah. Fuck yeah. Uh, and I bring that up because you have, you crowdfunded your gender confirmation surgery. You did a one-woman show about it. You sang a song about your brand new vagina on Nancy on the first season. Nancy's coming up next. And I want to know why it's been important to you to be so public about your surgery. You know, even before my surgery, I've always just been public about my personal shit. I feel like if you can be like... I tell myself, like, be, be open about the issues you're processing because someone else can learn from that, like, as you're going through it. So I've always dealt with my personal issues in a public forum as, like, a performance artist or a writer. And uh, when it came to my, my vagina, it's, like I said, all the stuff that I had, like, read about was so clinical and kind of terrifying. And I was like, well, I just want to, like, craft a new narrative around that. And also, in the New York theater community, which was, like, where I housed myself... Um, I was kind of the first person to, to do all this. And so I thought like, oh fuck, I have to explain to everybody what's going on. And so I thought like, let me make a show about it. And then I'll answer like preemptively every question, you know, in the show and it'll be on my terms. Uh, and so I've actually done three different solo shows about my confirmation. I did one woman show, which was like a show that like explained my life leading up to confirmation, like the decision to go crowdfund a vagina. I did a show called Post-Op that was just about my experiences in Thailand getting said vagina. And then I put both shows together and created what is called Manifest Pussy. <laughs> and the whole thing's on YouTube, so you could just watch it. Also, for people who have not watched it, it's a musical. It's a musical. Oh, my God. Oh, it's totally We're a musical. burying the lead. Yeah, we really did that. We buried the lead. Sorry. So, yeah, it's, um, it's like there's uh, 12 songs by nine compo- different composers that are all friends of mine. They're all, like, up-and-coming Broadway legends. Uh, yeah, and I sing my face off. It's really, like, folky. There's, like, some, like, very traditional musical theater. I sing in all octaves, you know. Like, I'm, like, down here in one song. I play an elephant in my... <laughs> Never mind. We're moving on from the elephants. Okay. No elephant. How how is the Broadway music theater community? Uh, how accepting are they of trans people? It's a very I mean, gay friendly place, of course. But yeah. what about trans people? You know, it's changing. When I first came out here, like six and a half years ago, I was like, "This will never work. I'll never be taken seriously if I come into the rehearsal room in a dress." 
And now this coming season already I know of four trans folks who are going to be on Broadway this next season. Can um, we name them? Peppermint yeah. is one. Peppermint is going to be in Head Over Heels. She's playing a non-binary character. Yeah. Um, oh my God, can I get... No. Shady? Maybe. I will say that uh, I helped develop that role. <gasps> I was in two different workshops at that show. I'm uh, sorry. No, 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 no. Because when the director called me and said that we want to cast a trans woman of color in the role, I said, yes! Uplift! So, no questions. Okay. I have such solidarity with that decision. Totally. And then I was like, I'll replace. Like, okay. you know, when Peppermint's done, I'll, like, I'll just come by. <laughs> and then I only have to do like a three-month contract. You know, I'm like stuck at it for a year. So. Seriously. Oh, Kate Bornstein. Kate Bornstein and Tida Foe are both going to be in Straight yes. White Men. And who's the fourth? I don't think I can say yet, but it's not me yet that we know, so there could be five. Um, okay, but pause, stop the show. Okay. I have a screenshot on my phone I'm going to bring up. What? This is a Twitter. This is a tweet. A Twitter. A tweet. It says. Oh, no. Is it from me? Yes. Oops. Okay, at Shakin's. Oh, dear. Dear 16-year-old Shakina, one day you're going to be in a rehearsal room with a bunch of Broadway's next-generation leading ladies. When it happens, don't be nervous. They're going to welcome you into the fold as one of them. So that's an amazing tweet. Tell us about it. Um, I'll tell you what I can, because that, that was a vague tweet because I have to be vague. Yeah, but, I know. Um, <laughs> but there is a really incredible young composer who's working on a new show. Uh, we were doing a lab of that show, and they just managed to get like all the heaviest hitters of incredible Broadway ladies um, of like this generation in the room. And then I was asked to come in uh, to be in the ensemble, which was terrifying to me because, like, you tell me to, like, stand center stage, hit my marks, find my spotlight, and belt a number, and I'm there for you. But if you want me to, like, give you complex harmonies, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> so I was like, I don't, I, I can't believe I'm going to be in the, in the ensemble in this. And I had, like, two little solo moments, and it was terrifying um, because all these women were, like, legends. Uh, and then we just like were hanging out, and it was an entirely female creative team. Uh, I was at, the, at that time in that room of 20 women, the only trans woman on the team. But um, it was just yeah, so powerful. And people whose performances I have seen for years, listened to on cast recordings, uh, just really respected as artists. And uh, yeah, we just like hung out and worked on a musical. That's amazing. It was really hot. <laughs> I feel like I cut you off earlier, though. We were uh -oh. talking about how accepting the Broadway community is of trans people, oh. and we named that there are four people coming up. Mm -hmm. coming up. But how, what has your experience been like in the audition room, et cetera? Well, I think people, I mean, right now, the right people want to be on the right side of history. And so um, folks are, like, trying to run full steam ahead in their allyship, which I really appreciate. But um, there's also a lot of... Um, educating that needs to happen and it's like sometimes you're in the mood to do the teaching and sometimes you're just not and yeah. uh and I think that like as like I applaud the Broadway community uh, you know they've um, historically, American musical theater has been at the forefront of every great social movement uh, with putting images on stage uh, that the rest of the world wasn't ready to see on television or movies or the radio. And this has not been the case with the trans community. You have to dig really deep to find a few like subtle hints. You can get like anybody's from West Side Story or Angel and Rent. You know, you get a few things. But um, now I think people are really eager, which is great. But I think there's a lot of a, a, like a big rush to, to like get into the conversation. Oh. Uh, Do they want to be the first? No, well, the, the narrative, the whole idea of like the first anything, sure. I mean, it will always happen. There's, Peppermint's the first trans woman to originate a role on Broadway. You know, those, the first, <clears throat> I care less about the first than I do about like the 15th and the 20th. 
you know? And as long as they're not the last. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, so, okay, so I think all the time about, ooh, what am I sitting on? Uh, oh, it's a microphone, that was so exciting. <laughs> wow. I'm just trying to like point counterpoint with where wow. you go. Okay. Okay. So I think all the time about the Matt Bomer movie that oh, Mark God. Ruffalo directed, yeah. uh, and Matt Bomer plays a trans woman. Yeah. And um, <laughs> right. So um, you brought up allies and people wanting to make art, and this clearly is somebody with amazing, amazing intentions, and it was a masterful fuck up because they clearly had not a single trans person involved behind the scenes. Um, I know that Jen Richards has said that she auditioned the audition for the role and was like, please cast a trans woman. And they cast Matt Bomer. And um, I bring this up because his intentions were good and then we tore him apart on Twitter. And I don't know if that's right or wrong, but I know that if we don't do it in a nice way, these people are not gonna make art with trans people ever again. Yeah, but suck my dick, you know? <laughs> Because, like, let me tell you, let me tell you, the first thing that we have to learn in, like, the art of revolution is getting over being nice. You can, you can be, you can, you can speak your mind and you can be respectful. But we're dealing with people with fragile egos. Again, suck my dick. Because there's not enough, because trans women are dying, you yeah. know, because trans women are being murdered um, because people believe that we are just men in dresses, you know? And so when you, when you let a man in a dress play a trans woman, you're just affirming that, that idea. Um, so, and you know, they told Jen Richards when she auditioned for that role, they told her she, she, looked, she looked too much like a woman. Yeah. To play, like she was not trans looking enough. So just like unpack that in your minds. Like what the fuck? Right. I, I think that like, like, we need allies, and there's people on the far right that we're never gonna touch, but it's the people like Mark Ruffalo that is trying, and so I don't know like the right answer, but uh, well, this is what like, I was saying about itself. like the, the people who are so eager that they're not actually like willing to investigate and yeah. listen to the voices of the folks they're trying to help. And, yeah, thank you. Um, you know, so, something I really, I've been educated on recently that um, was a linguistic, uh, change that came out of um, Native organizing out of the Standing Rock movement was a call uh, to abandon allyship and pick up the, the cause of accompliceship, being an accomplice. And like, because an ally, like there's ultimately like nothing at stake. And yeah, I'll help. Like, I'm, I believe in, I trust you. You know, yeah, like, I, like I want to I support you. And an accomplice is like, I'm willing to go to jail for you. You know, I will stand up and, and take a risk, take a hit. So... So yeah, Mark Ruffalo is an ally, but is he accomplice? I don't know. It's a great metaphor. Yeah, I like it. Thanks, Standing Rock. Okay, so you are very public on social media about wearing wigs. Oh yeah, and uh, being bald. I do. That. Yeah, and this is fake. <laughs> in case you didn't know, like my personality. <laughs> Ding. Um, and I want to know wh when you wear them or not. And I also wonder if, is, is it protection? So like you go out with a wig and you don't look visibly trans and you're not going to get catcalled? You know, some of it is like, it is about um, like just what's easier. I mean, realistically, the, the thing that makes my dis like everyday decision is like, what's the weather like? Like, am I, do I have to wear a hat? Because then no, no wig. Or is it like too hot? I'm going to be sweating. Then no, no wig. Um, so it's not, I mean, sometimes it's a fashion thing, sometimes it's a function thing. Um, it's very 
rarely about like what I hope other people think. Because I've just tried to get over that as much as possible. Because um, that just causes a lot of pain and unnecessary suffering. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, hair was a big part of my uh, journey um, when it came to understanding myself as a trans woman. I was bald. Um, I've had a shaved head for like 20 years. Um, but then when I came back from Thailand after going through this like incredible, incredible procedure, I had a really lovely experience where these like these two um, chicks from Israel who were staying in the same hotel as me in Thailand were like, girl, you've got to get the wig. And so I, they, they took me out and, we, and I bought this like cheap wig and I came back with it and I was like, this is how I will show people that something has changed. Because I couldn't just like show everyone my new vagina. <laughs> but I did show like a lot of people my new vagina. <laughs> like, if you came over to my house that year, it was like, hey, you want to see? Because I'll I, show you. I think, I think we have a slide actually. Yeah, right. So... Yeah. Is it working? Uh, we'll go on. Uh, yeah, so, um, so, I ha so I like went through this whole process of, oh, this is really beautiful. It's gonna circle back to Daniel. Um, I, I went through this whole process of like, so I, have, I'm, like, I had like male pattern baldness when I was like a teenager, basically. In college, I like started losing my hair, so I shaved my head. And, um, and then from that point on, like shaving my head gave me this like reminder that physical form is fleeting and you just can't fully invest in that to be there for you, you know? Um, Buddhist, yeah. Then when I came back from Thailand, I was wearing the wigs, I decided that um, I, I wanted to get a weave. And so I grew out all the hair that I had, which was only like the ring, so I looked like a mad scientist. Um, and then I had it like braided over the top of my head and then I had a weave sewn on. And then I was like weaving for a year or so and it felt great. I mean, it was so much work, like the upkeep and the, and the cost and the glue and everything. But it was like, this, the thing about um, wearing a wig for me at first was that every day when I came home and took the wig off, it was like, oh, now I'm just a bald man with a pussy. You know, it, it didn't feel like, it, like there was a rupture in my sense of self. And for, for trans folk, this idea of like, this is dysphoric relationship with your body is like really complicated, really hard to deal with. And I thought like, oh, that'll be over when I finish my confirmation. And then it was all in the hair and not about the genitals. Um, and so, um, one day I got like really frustrated with the weave that was like slipping out and I just like cut it off and I started just wigging instead of weaving. Um, <clears throat> and I still had my like long hair underneath. And then Daniel and I were in a long distance relationship for the first year in, of our relationship, year and a half. And he was like visiting me and I had made this change in my beauty regimen. And um, he was like his first night over and, and I was like, hey, uh, so do you mind if I just like take my hair off before I go to bed? Because it's like so much easier to like not have to deal with that. Sleeping with a wig on is like a lot of work. And, and he was like, I know what you look like, yeah. And so, oh my God. Then, so I did it and I took my hair off and I like had my little like ponytail mad scientist hair and I was in the bathroom like naked brushing my teeth and he came in and um, he put his arms around me and like did that like hug thing that like boyfriends do. And, um, and I started crying because I saw myself naked in the mirror with my like crazy mad scientist hair being hugged by this gorgeous young man. And, and, and he was like, why are you crying? And then he, he like looked at me like through the mirror, like I'm here, but he looked at me and he was like, he was like, you think I don't accept you like this? You think I don't accept you like this? And then he turned me and he said, <laughs> you're beautiful. And I just cried. Oh my God. Yeah. That is an amazing story and it's an amazing place to leave it on. Oh, yay. Thank you so much I had for so this. much fun with you guys. Thank you, Thanks thank so you, much. Thank you.
And that's our show. If you enjoyed the interview, please subscribe. You can do that on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you prefer. When you subscribe and leave a comment is one of the biggest things you can do to help our show grow. Big thank you for that. We are broadcasting from The Advocate Magazine Studio in Los Angeles. The Advocate is the longest-running LGBT news magazine in the country. It was founded in 1967, two years before Stonewall. You can also check out their other podcasts like The Advocates and Pride.com's podcast, Work, W-E-R-Q. You can also sign up for our newsletter at lgbtqpodcast.com. It's a great way to save the date on all of our new episodes and live shows like the Queer Podfest. That's lgbtqpodcast.com. Special thanks to our partners at Panoply, our old home, AfterBuzz TV, Jason McMurdy, and everyone for listening. We'll see you next week.